So it's wonderful to be with you all. I don't think we've actually ever been to Carlisle before. I know. We've been to um, to Keswick loads of times and, and had that, you know, that Hungarian goulash and the dog and gun. I knew you'd know it. We talked about this before. It's um, it's pretty famous, hey? We've had that far too many times, but we've never been to Carlisle, so it's just great that you have us here this morning. Thank you. So, we find ourselves in autumn, which is my favourite, favourite season. So much happens. You know, I love it when the trees change. I love it when I sort of get home from work and I kind of attempt to light a fire and then Ben comes home and makes it even better and shuffles the logs around, makes it amazing, and I just expect it to work. What else do I love? I love the rutting. What is that? What a deer do? But I love it when they do their rutting thing and all that testosterone. But one thing that I do not like is, do you know when those um, horrible ugh, spiders just come in and make themselves at home in my house and just kind of scurry across the carpet. Oh, just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I hate it. In fact, I was trying to figure out when that fear came, you know, when, when did I get frightened of spiders? And I was thinking back, and I actually think it's when I was a kid, my brother, I was having a nice bath, and my brother got a ruler and put one of these massive spiders on the end of it and just put it under the door. How mean is that? I think it all stems back from there. Horrible. Not having that. So, Carlisle Vineyard. When I think of Carlisle Vineyard, I see, I see a group of people who are pushing against anything that even smells of fear. You're eager to see people free from fear, not like at spider level, but like deep, deep level. You're eager to see people free from things having a hold on their lives. You're eager to see people free from words spoken over them that there'd be nothing when they grew up. You're eager to see people free from a history of family breakdown. And you're eager to see people free from the fear that there's not enough money coming in. Christmas is coming, it's meant to be a joyful celebration, and all you're thinking about is how I'm going to pay for it. Fear creeps in and it kind of robs us of our joy. And as I was praying for you guys, it felt like the Lord wanted me to just talk more about freedom and how Jesus and only Jesus can set us free from all the things that rob us and just rob our peace and give us fear. So there's someone in the Bible who I would like to introduce you to this morning who literally just steps fear through fear with courage and she's pretty amazing. She is such a great woman and yet she's no warrior on the outside. She doesn't look all kind of bold and courageous and actually she's, she's quite thoughtful and quiet. She's called Mary. Not Mary as in the mother of Jesus but Mary as in the brother, as in the sister to Lazarus and Martha. So let's find out a bit more about this fabulous woman by turning to Mark chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, it'd be great to turn with me, or you can switch it on on your device. If you don't know where Mark is, that's totally fine. Just use the contents page. We all do it. It's all good. That's what it's there for. As an aside, do you know, um, 
Do you know the Bible's made up of 66 books? And it just makes me laugh that the book of Mark is written by Mark and the book of Luke is written by Luke and how the name of the book is also the name of the author. And Mark was a guy who just hung around Jesus. He, he wanted people to know the same Jesus he knew. He didn't want to give them like long, boring stories. He wanted to tell of the, the action-packed things that happened around Jesus and the people he met. So if you've ever read the book of Mark, you can tell that he just kind of gives us snapshots into the life of Jesus. But he also loves detail. And he loves to take you back there with him so you can almost sense the atmosphere and the, the, the sights and the smells around of what was going on. For example, when Jesus was on a boat. Do you know that story of when he was calming the storm? So Mark describes that before Jesus did that, he was just having a little rest on a pillow. That's a cool little detail. Or when Jesus was about to feed the 5,000 with only a few fish and some bread, you might know that story. Well, before Jesus did that, he just got them to sit on the green grass. Another bit of detail that Mark just chucks in. And that sounds like something Jesus would do, right? Make sure you're comfy, have a little rest on the green grass before I'm going to feed you. So we read a lot at the beginning of Mark about Jesus going somewhere immediately, or he's doing something immediately. So by the time we get to reading about Mary in chapter 14, we are very thankful because he's having a rest. So here goes. While he, that's Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. What are you doing? Leave her alone. That's my Geordie coming out there. What are you doing? That's not in the Bible. I reckon he did it with a bit of, what are you doing? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So, to give you a bit of context, Jesus is a man who likes a meal. I think pretty much he ate his way through the Gospels. And we hear about him sharing a table with people, with respectable people and not so respectable people. In the ancient world, food held greater symbolism than it does today because to share a meal with somebody meant that you were actually, that you were kind of accepting them, that you thought they were all right, that they were your mate. And here we find Jesus having a meal at the house of someone called Simon the leper. I think, poor guy. Imagine being called Simon the leper. I mean, it's not 
not exactly the most attractive name, is it? So Simon, the skin disease sufferer. So who was Simon the leper? Well, at some time, Simon would probably have been a leper, perhaps one that Jesus had healed. And in ancient times, leprosy wasn't considered to be what it is today. It kind of referred to any skin disease, so blemishes, rashes, any of those things. And it was basically, basically a term for all skin complaints. But under, under Jewish law, to touch a leper or even be under the same roof as a leper made you unclean. And so lepers were held in almost permanent quarantine, like completely out of the way. So all of this may be why Simon the leper lived away from the Jewish temple in a village called Bethany, just to the east. And the fact that Jesus was having a meal there just just doesn't surprise me. That's what he did. It's the type of thing he did all the time. He, he wants to make the excluded included, regardless of the social boundaries of the time. And this all happened probably, probably on the Wednesday before Good Friday. So Good Friday was the day on which Jesus was crucified. And according to the accounts, not much really happens on the Wednesday. It probably was that Jesus didn't want to go into the temple and into Jerusalem. He probably was weighing up the political temperature. You know, it was getting a bit a bit tense. So he probably wanted to stay out of the way. So imagine the scene. He's sharing a meal, probably of lamb, a bit of goat maybe, drinking a bit of wine with his friends. And whilst Jesus is reclining at the table, having this rest, Mary comes up to him, breaks open like a really expensive perfume and just pours it on his head. I mean, who does that? I've never seen that happen. Has anybody seen that happen? I've never seen that happen, ever. So the people in the room really complain. They're not happy about this. And they argued that the the perfume could have been sold to feed the poor. But Jesus defends her. He says the poor will always be there. But this thing that Mary did will be remembered forever. And that always amazes me. Can you imagine doing something that would be remembered forever? I can't imagine anything I've ever done in my life that (laughs) that would be remembered forever. So the perfume in this incident, incident is... Nard. Not to be confused with lard. <laughs> that would be a totally different thing. And nard was perfume that was imported from the Himalayan mountains. And according to Pliny, the Roman author, had the foremost possible rank amongst perfumes. I.e. it was very posh. Super posh. And Such a perfume would have travelled thousands and thousands of miles to reach this village in Jerusalem. And it was worth like 300 denarii, which is about £25,000 in today's money. £25,000 in this jar. It's a lot of money. And I have some this morning. Nod. Hey. So, I was going to have... I was going to pass it round... Just give you a little bit of a smell. And then I thought, 
wouldn't it be good if I could just pour it on somebody's head? Like, a la Jesus. You know, I could just go, I'll have a nice little smell. There you go. But actually, you could smell the head of the person, whoever chooses to come up and have their hair anointed, just to kind of get into the story of it. Just waiting. Ben, it might be you. Just saying. Anybody want to come up and get their head, head anointed with oil? <laughs> I'm like, if nobody volunteers, then you're it. Come on, take your hoodie off. It's quite new. <laughs> so you can get an idea of the smell. And do you know what's quite interesting? Okay, so this is like a tiny bit. This is like 10 mil. So, so Mary had a lot more than this. She had like an alabaster jar of it and she cracked it open I'm meant to be here we go tops off do you know the interesting thing which I realised when I was doing this so um, oh it stinks (laughs) Jesus wouldn't have had much of a shower before Wednesday and Friday so I actually think he probably still smelled of this when he was crucified he probably went to the cross like smelling at this kind of pungent as you will soon find out and I kind of felt a bit sorry for him when I smelt this when I got it through the post so just pray for Ben afterwards um are we all right with the floor what should I do should I just go for the t-shirt okay anyways so here we go yeah I won't go deliberately on the floor promise I want to honor honor the people okay here goes Can anybody smell it yet? Oh, my hand's going to (laughs) stink. Poor me. There we go. How's it smell? What do you reckon, Andy? Oh. (laughs) So Jesus would have probably... How is that? Do you think it sounds like that? Can anybody smell it? What? Oops. Should I kind of go on, Ben? Have a little, have a little walk. (laughs) You got it. Okay, you can come back now. You can come back now. Can you smell it? Oh, Ben. You know, he's going to be here all day now. So, this nard was really expensive. So, I've wasted loads of money on your head. You should be really honored. But the complaints weren't actually just about the cost. Because what made this act so scandalous was the person doing the anointing. It was about Mary. Because in Mary's society, women were seen as light-headed. It was the man's role to discuss, to learn. The women were simply there to cook and clean. Women had few rights. And there was the conviction, thank you, that God just simply did not talk to women. And Mary was having none of that. 
she also didn't care what people thought of her when it came to Jesus. So let's look at that a little bit more, because I think the first thing I would have thought of if I was Mary, and I was thinking of pouring perfume on Jesus' head, was, man, I'm going to look like a right idiot if I do that. What are they going to think of me? But she simply didn't have any fear of what people thought of her. I wonder how much of my day and your day-to-day life is spent in actually looking for the approval of other people. You can see why we do it. I mean, approval, it feels good, doesn't it? We like to be liked. Most of us place a a higher premium on what people think of us than we realise. We like to be told we're looking good or we're good parents or what else? We're good at our work. We enter conversations with people hoping people will like what we say or they'll laugh at our jokes. I don't know why I looked at you, Andy. Sorry. Or they'll laugh at our jokes. (laughs) Or as I'm learning what they say in Scotland, that we have good chat. Is that right, Rose? We have good chat. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist and best-selling author, talks about this this fascinating conversation. When he met a a schoolmate, he was 15 years old, and he went to have this conversation with his schoolmate. So this is his reflection on this conversation. He realized that for the entire 10-minute period from when he had first seen his friend until the very moment that he was reflecting on it, he had been totally self-preoccupied. So for the two or three minutes, he says, before they met, all he could think about was the clever things he might say that would impress his friend. And then during their five minutes together, he said, I was listening to what he had to say only so that I might turn it into a clever reply. He says, I watched him only so that I might see what effect my remarks were having on him. And then when they separated, he said, and for the two or three minutes after we separated, my sole thought was of those things I could have said that might have impressed him even more. I actually couldn't have cared less about my classmate. And the truth is, what's going on for that 15-year-old boy is exactly what goes on for us in our 20s, our 30s, 70s, 90s. But when we look at Mary, she was totally free from any fear of others' opinions, expectations, approval, fear of what others might think of her. She understood that her significance came from her relationship to Jesus, not from the approval of others. Her heart brimmed over with thankfulness to Jesus for his love. And that gave her confidence to be herself, regardless of what others might think of her. Wouldn't you just love to be like that? I know I would. When I was younger thought it was a good thing if I did accountancy. You see me as an accountant. So I went to work for an accountancy firm in my school holidays, as you do. I don't know who does that. And I was so bad at it. I was rubbish. I was locked in a room. Well, not locked in a room. I was in a room with a calculator, a pen and paper, and doing this thing called double entry, which I didn't have a clue what that was. 
And I was there for a whole week and I was shocking at it. And I was like, why am I? Why did I even do that? I mean, who does that? Nobody does that, do they? But on reflection, I did it because I knew my dad would have wanted me to have done that. Like, I did it because my dad would have thought, oh, accountancy, well done. Well done, Kate. Good, good job. But the truth is that my dad would have loved me regardless whether I, whether I did accountancy or whether I did something else. But I was looking for his approval without even realizing it in my actions. True freedom comes when we no longer need to be special in other people's eyes because we know Jesus thinks we are overwhelmingly lovable. And I don't know, I just think, I just think some of you need to know that this morning, that you are overwhelmingly lovable. Overwhelmingly lovable, not just a little bit lovable, like overwhelmingly lovable. And we've heard that in Mary's day, a woman wasn't expected to engage in debate. And during the meal, Mary would be expected to serve the meal, but not speak. She wasn't allowed to speak. However, Mary had to speak somehow. She had to be heard. And what she does is not some careful, considered, polite act. It's kind of the, um, the passionate, heartfelt cry that society has silenced. There's no words she could say that she was allowed to say. So she had to use her own, she had to use her own way. She had to use her own vocabulary. And there's another account of this story in the book of John. And John mentions something that Mark didn't mention. John says that not only did Mary use this hugely expensive perfume to anoint Jesus at the meal, but she does something so scandalous. She lets down her hair and she dries Jesus' feet with it. And this act is so shocking to the men present because it was the custom of the day that a woman never let her hair down in public, ever only in the presence of her husband. So Mary is clearly moved. She's so moved by the deep loyalty that she has for Jesus, and she worships him without a care in the world. She's unaware of the inevitable disapproval that she's caused. Many people would call her eccentric, or even out of her mind, actually. I bet some people thought she was a bit like, what are you doing? Is it moderation in all things when it comes to Jesus? Mary was anything but moderate. She was motivated to anoint Jesus out of love. Nobody told her to do it. It wasn't commanded. It was just something that Mary took it upon herself to do. And Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. What's the thing that you can do for Jesus, which is motivated out of your love for him? Nothing else. Just simply motivated out of your love for him. Is it choosing to love people who aren't like you? Is it choosing to be generous rather than stingy, tight-fisted? Is it choosing to honor people instead of gossiping about them? 
Is it choosing to pray for them rather than criticizing? Now, Mary knew Jesus. She knew, she knew him. She knew what he had done for her. She knew he had given her acceptance and purpose and hope. But she also knew who he was. She knew he was king. And every king in Judah was anointed before his coronation. And this was to be his anointing. Not by a prophet, but by a woman. But it was also more than that. It was like a symbolic preparation of his body for burial. Mary knew that her king must die. She knew Jesus. She knew he was the Messiah. She knew that she had to do this. She understood the gospel. And this was why the gospel was preached in the whole world. And her loving sacrifice was going to be remembered forever. So what's going on with Judas? Just really quickly before I finish. Judas's reaction to Mary's worship is very interesting. He is the opposite of Mary. So with Mary, it seemed like when she was around Jesus, fear didn't get a look in. She didn't care what others thought about her. She didn't care the cost. She didn't care anything. When she was around Jesus, fear was nowhere in sight. But with Judas, fear is like stifling him. He couldn't stand Mary's devotion. And he went to the chief priests straight after and made a deal with them that he would turn Jesus into them for a price. He worshipped money. And his fear of not having enough drove him. Hmm. He couldn't understand how Mary didn't see money like him. He couldn't understand how she could throw away all that money on expensive perfume and waste it on Jesus. His love for money was so great that it eventually became his downfall. Jesus warns so often about money becoming our object of worship and how it's impossible to love God and money at the same time. So how are we doing with that? Hmm. There's the question. How are we doing with that? Jesus isn't saying money's a bad thing. He's saying that when it becomes our worship, if we live and breathe to get more of it, if we work hard to get more of it, it's just going to distance us from Jesus. Which is why it's so beautiful that Mary is just free from that hold. Money has no hold on her at all. And that's part of why we tithe or we give our money to the church, just that it has no hold on us. We're acknowledging that it all belongs to God anyway. We're combating that fear of not having enough. And so it has no power over us. It has no control over us. Judas is defined by what he has. But Mary is defined by how she gives. So what do you, what do you want to be defined by? What you have or what you give? So, just to finish, when you're close to Jesus, those fears can come. Fear of what people think, fear of what people will say about you, fear of not having enough money, fear of other things. But when you're close to Jesus, fear can't stay there. 
Because fear has no place when Jesus was around. So you can ask Jesus right now, today, to get rid of that fear. But that's your choice. That's what you can choose to do. God has given us the most extraordinary, most joyful, most adventurous, most safe, most challenging, most comforting gift in Jesus. And whose love we can be totally free So may you, Carlisle Vineyard, follow Jesus and worship him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. May you just delight in knowing the freedom Jesus brings you all the days of your life. So it'd be great to pray for you. Can we just just pray? So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just stand, actually? It just feels like we just need to stand and respond to what God wants to do. So this is no weird thing. If you're new here, um, that's totally fine. We're just going to see what God wants to do. We just expect him to be moving in our hearts and minds and who we are and we're just giving him the floor he's had it all morning anyway but it's just this is when he can touch your heart this is when he can touch your mind and just challenge you or comfort you so if you want what he has for you maybe it's just look like you're receiving a present or something you can maybe put your hands out or you can just open your heart metaphorically So we just ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come. I just felt, I just think that there's something, um, for maybe some of you here, that there's a, there's a, there's a thing of, of having low expectation on yourself. Um, that maybe you've, maybe there's some people here who've never had that, um, never been allowed to dream or to think that they could have any ambition or to think that, um, oh, you know, this is as, this is as far as I go here. You know, I can't, I can't go beyond this. It just felt like, um, just sense the Lord saying He wants to raise you up. Particularly the younger generation. There's something about the younger generation that I just feel that the Lord wants to raise up and just affirm you and say, dream. Like, it's like a dream, Carlisle. Dream, you know, just imagine what the Lord has got for this city. And for those of you who are um, of of like an older generation, whatever that means, um, I just sense the Lord is calling you to be cheerleaders of this next generation, of just cheering them on and just saying, you can do this. You can be whoever God has called you to be. <coughs> Not just, you know, pouring water onto flames of like ambition or ambition is not a bad thing. Dreams are good. Hope and glory and whatever God has got for you is good. So, Carlisle Vineyard, would you be cheerleaders of each other? Would you be um, 
just affirming whatever the Lord has got in each other, even if it sounds crazy to you, even if you think I would never do that, what is that? Just affirm it. And it just feels like um, how society has silenced Mary. She couldn't speak. She she was, um, yeah, she was, she she had to find her own vocabulary to express her love for Jesus. I just, um, I just pray that you would, you would find your own vocabulary. And it might be that some people here just need to speak out their dream. What if you, what do you long for? What breaks your heart? And if you don't know, ask God for it and he'll show you. So God, right now, we just, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit and break, break their hearts for something that, that breaks yours. Ben, do you have anything? Guys from Edinburgh, if you want to say, just come on out. There's also this thing, which I'm just tentatively um, just going to gently put out there, but I think there's a, I think there's a fear of, I think there's a fear of death. I think there's a, some people are frightened of dying um, and just weigh that up. But if that resonates with your heart, if there's a fear that people are just, they think of, of dying and it absolutely terrifies them. Um, it'd be just great to pray for you this morning. Um, again, just weigh that up. Just that was just a, when we started worshiping, I just had this picture that I thought, please don't make me say anything about that. And <laughs> I got something similar last week when we were, we do a Thursday night at the moment in Edinburgh. And it made me talk about my time in Boys Brigade, which was quite humbling in itself. <laughs> so I love the movie The Hobbit. Confession. And when we started worshipping there, I just kept thinking of this kind of yellow Hobbit door. And I thought, what is that about? And the more I started praying into that and the more I started thinking about it, it made me think of, and I don't know if anyone, has anybody seen The Hobbit or read The Hobbit? Yeah. So it made me think of the journey that a wee guy called... This like Bilbo Baggins goes on and he gets all these people rapping at his door at the beginning of it and he comes up with an excuse every single time as to why he shouldn't go on this journey. But eventually they go on this journey and at the end of it is this thing, it's called the heart of the mountains, so it's this massive kind of shining gem. And it made me think that there is someone here that might just want to speak about a journey that they are ready to go on. And I just wanted you to know that at the end of that journey there is just the most beautiful prize, the promise of eternal life. So if you want to talk about that, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people here happy to speak to you, and I'll be here for a bit as well, more than happy to chat to you. Thank you. <coughs> Hi guys, my name is Fady, I'm from Edinburgh Vineyard as well. Um, yeah, I have, yeah, so it's really strange, I didn't know that you were going to be talking about this, Kate, and this morning I've had very very similar things come up it's just like worship songs that i've listened to and like even you guys singing that lyric of like oh the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of god um which is just amazing um and i felt like god was saying and asking the question i think of of me and i think maybe for some of you guys of like 
that that phrase that I've I've had over the last kind of year is I'll put it in a jar and smash it at your feet. Um, what what's in your jar? What are you going to put in your jar and smash it at Jesus' feet? And that reaction of Jesus was he was working out of the economy of scarcity that there isn't enough to go around. Um, whereas Mary was working out of God's economics that there is so much generosity and so much to go around. Just as God with the Israelites in the Old Testament gave manna to the people in the wilderness and there was so much that they couldn't collect it all, that's his economy. So worship can seem wasteful. Um, And so, like, yeah, I felt like God was saying, like, he works most powerfully when we drop our reasonableness, like, the point where we're, like, this is no longer, like, reasonable. Um, That's when he starts working miraculously. The other thing was just, um, I love love symbolism. Um, And there's an amazing piece of art in Japan called Kintsugi, which is basically, um, the story behind it is a, a broken vase, um, and the emperor ordered his men to fix it. And the way they did it is they, they glued it up and they ran a golden seam through each crack. And the idea is that it's more beautiful having been restored from its brokenness than it was originally. Um, and, yeah, I feel that might resonate with some of you. So the guy at the back with the white T-shirt, i um, just going to throw it out there. If this makes no sense to you, then just ditch it. Um, so I just saw a, um, it's weird cause you're not wearing a poppy at all, but I just felt, um, I saw, I saw like, uh, like a poppy on your heart and it just feels like, um, the Lord's saying he's going to minister to some battle that's been um, going on in your, or some, something that's been, um, caused pain in your heart over, I don't know. So if that makes any sense to you, it'd be great to just pray for you this morning. If that makes any sense, if there's some, um, something some heart thing that the, the lord just wants to to touch with you if that doesn't make any sense again just just ditch it uh, yeah i felt god was saying something when kate was talking about mary finding a way to communicate and, and she found that way um i got i got the words around um yeah, pe- people with dyslexia or dyspraxia those sorts of things where they may say that oh it's hard for me because of it might not be one of those two things I've mentioned, but I get a sense of if for you it's hard for you to communicate because of is a phrase that you've used or hard for you to get through. I think God wants to to give you something uh, today which will help you communicate and help you break through that because um, he's proclaiming sort of freedom over you guys and uh, a freedom to go into new places and new things. He doesn't want you to be held back. Something um, I just sense that the Lord's just resting on this on this middle row here. Um, I just, again, I'm just going to check it out there. This um, I just see see the Lord's made you to be like a farmer, so somebody who just um, gathers people and just moves them. You know, you're a real arranger. You just move people into different areas and and you make sure everything is sort of all working, organised, and running. Like, and you're a hard worker. Does that does that make any sense to you? So um, is there any arranging? Is there any sort of um, cultivating? Is there anything, that, something about working with um, the next generation? Is there, have you got anybody in your midst who is like younger than you, who, who just needs encouraging and you can arrange things for them to like put things in place? 
maybe maybe just look out for those things. Maybe just look out because I think the Lord's just, um, yeah, just putting that on you. So, Lord, I just bless what you're doing with, with what's going on over here. Just impart your dreams, impart your heart, impart your vision. Come, Holy Spirit.